my uh, my sister just phoned because my mom passed away in October 31st, and we're talking about setting the tomb or the tombstones in place or the headstones. I mean, so it's kind of neat. That was her favorite song in the garden. A good one. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own. Sometimes that's all we need to know that we're not alone. Speaking of not being alone, there was a time where uh, um, I was feeling pretty cloudy. I was lucky enough to uh, be able to go on a growth retreat, lucky enough to uh, pair that with a B&B experience, a bed and breakfast at a beautiful place on Sumas Mountain, along with a guy that came there to coach me and counsel me uh, along the lines of life, uh, marriage, but also we were going through a dark time of some uh, parenting that was not easy for us. Not sure if you've ever been there before, but the storm cloud of parenting through hard times when your kid is uh, making decisions that not only drive you nuts, but you know the end result can be devastating. It's like wherever I go, wherever I went, be that, could be at work, snowboarding, hanging out with my wife, playing with my other kids, wherever you go. It takes two to three minutes for the dark cloud, the thunder clouds, and the lightning, and the, and the thunder to all of a sudden be over your head. And it, wherever and whatever you do, when you're burdened with something like your kiddo that's not following the Lord, it's pretty hard to get over that. We talked about stuff, and then I was left alone to ponder, talk some more, ponder, pray, go for walks, think. But you know what the real gift for me was, and it was a backdoor kind of blessing, I think I like to call it, is the guy that owned the B&B, they were actually a pastoral couple. And we stood at the, the, the kitchen bar and chatted, and I realized that they were two families coming together, so they had a um, Brady Bunch going on there. And they, he talked to me in uh, real emotion how brutal it was for them that one of their children did not take the high road and did not take their advice or their training and was rebelling against everything that they stood for. It got to the point where everything was about that child and it was ruining everything else with the parents and every other child. Like we're not just talking not cleaning your room. We're talking about substance or rebellion or this, and this heart that just rebels at everything that you stand for. It came to the point where a decision had to be made. So they had a family meeting and he goes to say and describe the, the heartache around it that it actually got to that point. They tried everything. And they got to the family meeting and pretty much laid out just a few rules because by the time you get to this point, you just have such minimal guidelines because you want your child obviously to change and to stay with you. So here was for, to stay here and for all of us to be healthy this needs to happen. If this doesn't happen, you can't stay here with us. And it was a big deal. It was just horrible because the child decided to walk through those doors and leave the family that day. He went on to describe how brutal that was and how they cried together, how, like, that's not how family's supposed to be. I forgot to tell the first service, so you're lucky it ends with a good story. <laughs> they still don't know. Um, but long story short, after about a week, the, the child did come back and made some changes. 
but to get to that point was just absolutely brutal. He continued to describe how he tried everything and then cried out to God and was crying. He was an absolute mess. God, why? What's going on? Feelings of being a failure or did I try enough? What did I do? What didn't I do? Crying out, imploring God, do something, God. Speak. Show up. And guess what? God did. And my friend said that the Lord gave him a banner or the Lord gave him an affirmation or the Lord gave him a word that day that would change him. The end. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm not going to tell you though. So nobody can leave the service early. But there was one word that the Lord gave this dad that changed him and changed his parenting forever. Do you ever feel like that as a parent, that something goes wrong or the storm clouds have come or your kiddo is just not walking with God or making brutal decisions and you just feel like, why am I such a loser of a parent? Or you've tried everything and and whatever resources are at your fingertips and nothing works. Or do you sometimes feel that parenting is incredibly draining and often you feel over your head? I mean, when you think of it, if anything deserves a doctorate, it should probably be parenting. You should probably go for your bachelor, master's, and doctorate before you have children. Because the things that you run into. Or perhaps you're here this morning and you feel actually aloof or unattached because your child has actually hurt you so bad that you don't, you tell yourself you don't care anymore. And that can happen too. And kiddos, just so you know, Parents have feelings too. And uh, it hurts, man. Because there's just such a desire of connection for our offspring, for our kids, that it just really hurts when you rebel or choose to go the other way. The heart of a parent. Today I would like to draw our attention to a proverb that blows my mind and it's Proverbs 22 verse 6 which you've all heard before. It says in your way of probably memorizing it, train up a child in the way he should go when he's old he will not depart from it. But NLT or New Living Translation would say this, train a child in the way appropriate for him or her and when he becomes older he will not turn from it. Train a child in the way that is appropriate for him or her and when he becomes older... He will not turn from it. So it's interesting here. It's, it seems to be charging us as parents because today we want to celebrate or, or go toward that subject of contentment in fathering and mothering. How to be content as a dad or a mom. And it's for everybody here. If you're an auntie or an uncle, whatever. You have influence on kiddos. So hopefully there's something in here. But here it's charging us to train. So things just don't happen. It seems that it's charging parents or a- adults to train. Do something. So this is an action word. And it's interesting because it says, train up your child in the, a, a way appropriate for him. To, I used to think that just show the kid, every kid, I got five kids, so five times I got to show uh, what the Bible says, now do it. But it seems as though the Proverbs is actually saying a lot more than that, saying, you got to know your kid. So I got five kids. In fact, I'll, I'll be honest with you, after, my, after having Caden, we were thinking about writing a book because we were such good parents. You know, was, people said, he's like baby Jesus, thank you. And then we had another kid. So, and we grabbed the manuscript of that book and ripped it up in pieces. 
Like every kid is so different. You got to know them. And it's interesting because, I mean, I'll have one kid where I have to be quite stern or like there might be grounding involved or loss of privileges and all this stuff. And the other kid, you just kind of look at them and they start crying. And you got to know that stuff. Train a child in the way that is appropriate for them. But I'm excited to share with you what seems to me almost like a journal entry of a dad. You'll find it in Proverbs chapter 7. But I want you not just to think of it as a didactic or a teaching passage, but even more of, could this be a journal entry from a dad who's training his child? So Proverbs chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Here's what it says. Followed my advice, my son. Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. And what that's saying is uh, they were talking even about the pupil, the very center of your eyeball, just like that's so uh, important to you, you want to guard your eyes. That's what it's saying. Take the instructions from dad and from mom and guard it like you would your own eye. Tie them around your fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Love wisdom like a sister and make, in, make insight a beloved member of your family. Let them protect you from an affair with an immoral woman, from listening to the flattery of a promiscuous woman. You know, while I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain, I saw a, some naive young men. And one in particular seemed to lack common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman strolling down the path by her house. It was at twilight in the evening as deep darkness fell and the woman approached seductively dressed and sly of heart. She was the brash rebellious type never content to stay at home. She's often in the streets and the markets, soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him, and with a brazen look, she said, Oh, I've just come from my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. You're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you. Look, here you are. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets with colored sheets of Egyptian linen, I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink our fill of love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses. For my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip. He has taken a wallet full of money with him and won't return until later this month. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap, awaiting an arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, like little knowing it would cost him his life. So listen to me, my sons. Listen to me, my daughters. Pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray away from her. Sorry, that was all wrong. Don't let your hearts stray away toward her. (laughs) Oops. Don't wander down her wayward path. For she has been the ruin of many. Many men have become or have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. 
I find that an incredible story that I can almost imagine. And you know what is so amazing is that is incredible advice for today, 2017. And it's the same advice that whenever this was written thousands of years ago. He is saying principles within this thing that blow my mind. He's showing a woman that has come out and said, you know, I did all my vows, fulfilled my peace offerings and vows and all that stuff. So I've taken care of the religious, religious part of it. So now let's get together and you know, in fact, my husband's gone and he's got enough money to be gone a month. Let's do this. So she's actually pursuing, she's looking for somebody to get in trouble with. And here this naive guy, this guy that's not paying attention and not heeding the wisdom of mom and dad is not necessarily looking for trouble, but he's a wee bit dense, shall we say. And here she comes out and flatters him. This is still a trick that the devil likes to use. Flattery, when things aren't going good at home, in fact, if your marriage is on the rocks and you and your wife haven't been connecting for a while, then all of a sudden you go to the office and there's a young lady there that loves to flatter you. Oh, how tempting that is. It's interesting. He goes on to say, like, he followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. Not paying attention. An ox, he just gives him grain and he's do 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 walks toward the slaughterhouse. And it's like this young man who doesn't heed any advice that dad's given him. What are you doing? You're on your way to the slaughterhouse. So listen to me, he says. Because she has been the ruin of many. What this is saying here, this is not in you. You think you're so special that you can try drugs and don't worry about the cost of fentanyl? It's all over the news, but it won't happen to you. You're going to be okay. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But yet, at some point in our lives, each one of us has done something dumb like that. We think, oh, it won't happen to me. It will. It could. I like what Robert L. Alden wrote. He says, if you want to avoid the devil, stay out of his neighborhood. If you suspect you might be vulnerable to a particular sin, you take steps to avoid it. So just like, la, 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 I don't know what's going on. That doesn't help. You're just like an ox going to the slaughter. Or if you think, this is not going to happen to me. I can fool around with this stuff. I can look at pornography online. Or, no, no, I know. I can look at skimpy swimsuits and stuff like that and not cross the line. And here, Robert's saying, if you know you struggle with something, don't even flirt with it. Like, if you know that neighborhood over there contains that stuff, go that way. Stay out of the devil's neighborhood. My mama said, bless your heart, she always used to tell me, you know, you give the devil your little finger, he'll take your whole hand. And that's the picture that we see here, is an unwise young man who should know by now, but there's two sides of the equation. You have this parent, this mom and dad, that needs to impart wisdom and share. And guess what? The kid needs to drink deeply. The kid needs to drink deeply. Somebody told me a long time ago that parents are like guardrails. Our job is to set up guardrails, and a teenager's job is to smash into them. (laughs) Amen, right? You know, it's interesting because sometimes, in order to be a, a friend to our teenagers, we forget that we're parents first. And we don't set up a guardrail. 
And research is saying that kids are dying for guardrails. They won't tell you. With their mouth, they might curse you or run the other way or whatever. But in their heart of hearts, they want to know that they're loved. And one of the ways of doing that is you don't let them get away with anything. Or with everything, I mean. I, I had a kiddo one time in, in, in a young youth group. And he was being such a pain in the arm that... <laughs> and I stop everything. I said, Wesley... Sit down. I'd stop the whole class. Sit down. Unzip your parka. Can you tell it's Manitoba? Sit down. And I'd have to do that all the time. I wouldn't let him get away with stuff. Well, that kid was crazy about me. Like, he wouldn't leave me alone. He loved me to pieces. Like, he was becoming a pain again, right? But I couldn't believe it because he also grew up in a home where his dad was brutal. So for ha- to have a male role model actually care enough to not let him get away with stuff... He just thought I was the bee's knees, man. He needed guardrails, as do all of our kids. But if you think you're going to set up a guardrail once and be all surprised that your kid hits it once or twice, well, I got some news for you. It's their job, apparently, to smash into that guardrail. So how many of you have dents and bruises from parenting? (laughs) Oh, man. So I think when we look in the Proverbs, it gives us a heart of a dad or a mom. All of us desire to raise our kids to maturity, to be productive, to give back to society, and hopefully have a vibrant faith in Jesus Christ that will spill out onto others, right? I think so. And then my my wife has a favorite verse that is mind-blowing for you, especially if you're a teenager or a young person. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals. So if you're hanging out with friends and you think, oh, I can hang out with them and it's not going to influence me, you are 150,000% wrong. They will rub off on you. My mama said too, she, she wasn't wicked strict, but she just said, make sure your best friends are good influence. Make sure your best friends are good Christian friends. And I had friends everywhere, man. Like I was quite a social butterfly and I had them all over, some interesting friends. But the ones that I hung out with that influenced me, were good guys that mostly had a good relationship with their parents and we liked to go about mischief, but it was, it was good mischief, if that makes any sense. Don't talk to my mom, right? <laughs> but I, you know, pretty good mischief. We stayed out of trouble most of the time. So these parents here seem to be trying to train and dis- discipline their, their son so that he will learn how to discipline himself. Did you ever think about that? That we're the guardrails, we actually teach, we train with discipline so that the young man and young woman, after a while, they don't need to be trained in discipline so much. We can lighten up a bit because now they have adopted discipline for themselves. Does that make sense? So you're actually, your job is to train in righteousness, train in discipline, and then the young person starts to take some of these values on for themselves. That's why you don't have a 35, hopefully, you don't have a 35-year-old phoning home and, and asking what time should I be home tonight, mom? You know, well, you should probably figure that out if you have to work in the morning, right? We're training and guiding with discipline, with guidelines. Perhaps, going back to 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-three. perhaps it's good to know that whom you hang out with, you will become. Whom you hang out with, you become. Proverbs 13 has a lot to say about it too. And it's one simple verse in there says, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. 
Now, this has been taken out of context. You know, people grab spares the rod, and people have been way too hardcore about this. But no, no matter how you discipline your kiddo, you've got to do it in love, and obviously in fairness, and obviously within reason. He who spares the rod hates his son, Proverbs says, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. So you say, oh, I love my kids. I just love them. I'll I'll pull booze from them and they can have a party in the basement. That's not love. You're being an irresponsible parent. That's not guiding. Again, we're supposed to be guardrails and the kiddo might ram into them, but our job is to train them to have these guardrails in place so they, they can become successful adults. And we defined that before that they would give back to society and at some point also um, love the Lord Jesus Christ and spill out onto others. We're training them. Children who grow up in an undisciplined household, apparently, research says, they feel unwanted and unworthy. They lack direction, self-control, and, they get old, and as they get older, they rebel and have little or no respect for any kind of authority, including God's authority. Proverbs 6, verse 20 to 22 says, My son, obey your father's commands and do not neglect your mom's teaching. Keep their words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. Wherever you walk, their counsel can lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up in the morning, they will advise you. So here, it's really important that we see our role as parents or as aunties or uncles, whatever you happen to be today, that it's a big deal that yes, we have a friendship with our kids, but you're not called to be a friend. You're called to be a parent. And friendship's a bonus, but you're a parent. So parent. There is this incredibly tasty example of this story in the book of Samuel that I want us to go to toward right now. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2, that's an incredible story of a dad who's not dadding all that well. It's about Eli. 1 Samuel 2, starting at verse 12. Here's what it says. Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord. And I love, that's NLT, New Living Translation, and I've got to go back to the good old King James Version for this verse. Because it says, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. And you're going, what is that? Well, I looked up Belial, and what it means is, uh, it means worthlessness, or a, it's a name for the devil. So now the sons of Eli were sons of the devil, or they're worthless, and they knew not the Lord. Whereas the other one said they had no respect for the Lord. And I love this, because it's interesting, because what we like to do is we think we can have a relationship with Christ, but it makes no difference in our life. He's our Savior, but not our Lord. Nah, try and back that up throughout Scripture. I'm not sure about that one. Because if he is your savior, truly, honestly, that he has saved you and you realize, wow, I've sinned, I need Jesus. Well, you're going to respond by making him your Lord. You're going to want him to be your master. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, by no means. But he's our savior and Lord. So it goes on to say here, they were scoundrels, no, no respect for the Lord, or for their duties as priests. These guys were priests. So whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's sons would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork. While the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling, the servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand whatever it brought up 
to be given to Eli's sons. It's important, we don't have time right now, but it's important to know that through the law, there was ways of doing this. And these guys were not going with the prescribed law on how to be fed from the offerings that the people brought. They were just going in there, sending a servant to do the dirty work, shoving the fork in and taking the choice cuts of meat. Whenever... um, Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's sons would send a servant with a three-pronged fork. While the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling, the servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever it brought up would be given to Eli's sons. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. Sometimes the servant would even come before the animal's fat had been burned on the altar, and he would demand raw meat before it had been boiled so that it could be used for roasting. The man offering the sacrifice might reply, take as much as you want but the fat must be burned first, according to the law. Then the servant would demand, no, give it to me now, or I'm going to take it by force. And these were guys sent by the priests. So the sin of these young men, these priests, was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. We know from a couple weeks ago that one surefire way for your marriage to end in divorce is if you have contempt in your marriage. If you're superior to your spouse. If you're always looking down like, oh, you're, you really don't get this? Oh. Contempt is going to kill your marriage. Interesting. It says here, they treated the Lord and his offerings with contempt, with superiority. They were not submitting to the Lord's words. We're going to skip over. We're in 17. Let's jump over to verse 22. Now Eli, was the, he was the dad. Now Eli was very old. But he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. So here's a raw story of priests. And, you know, we'd like to take this out of the Bible because it sure doesn't look, look all that good for the people of God, right? But these guys were corrupt. They were stealing with contempt stuff that they were not supposed to be. So people were coming with honest offerings and these guys would move aside, I'm grabbing that. And it's just like, really? So they're being greedy. They're being contemptuous. They're even interrupting worship with these other people. Not only that, the ladies that were worshiping at the, at the beginning of the um, temple area, they were actually having sexual relationships with these people. So it was so corrupt and so brutal. And what does verse 22 says? Now Eli was very old, but he was aware that his sons were, what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. And at one point, I'll throw this in for Eli, at one point he corrected them with his voice. He says, what are you guys doing? So he kind of scolded them a little bit with his voice. But it doesn't show any action. And there was consequences to this. There was consequences to this. The Lord took it in his own hands and these two guys actually were judged by God and were taken out of the equation. I wonder how Eli felt then. It's interesting because when it comes to repentance or when it comes to saying sorry or when it comes to just realizing you've done something wrong, there's action behind that, don't you think? Let me explain. There, there seems to be a difference of sorrow when you get caught and a sorrow for when you're actually sorry for what you did. I got kiddos, so they'll, 
I said, come here, please. What do you say? Sorry. And then they run off to play. Like, they, they just want to get off my back, Dad, because we're playing darts outside, right? So they just, and I can tell that often, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. Did you actually think of how it affected your brother, what you just said? And sometimes getting a kid to say sorry, honestly, takes forever. And sometimes probably they don't mean it. But I think those are special times where a kid's in trouble and perhaps they've had consequences, been sent off somewhere, or maybe even at the end of the day, and they present you with a piece of art, with a drawing or coloring, and you know that from the heart they're sorry for offending you. You know the difference between sorry and shoot, I'm sorry. I try and get my kids to even recognize the offense to God and the offense of, it's not about you and the embarrassment of having to say sorry. Think about how that person feels the way you've disrespected them. Put yourself in their shoes. You need to say sorry, right? A repentance. I like this, these verses found uh, that were penned by the Apostle Paul in Corinthians. He says to, to Corinth, and just so you know, the, the church at Corinth uh, was... Not spick and span. They had some crazy stuff going on there. And these, this new church, new, new Christians, they were doing some crazy stuff. So Paul goes on in his letter. He says, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. Though I was sorry at first. For I know it was painful for you for a little while. Guys, as parents, isn't it hard sometimes to dish out consequences to kids? To put up guardrails? And you feel, oh God, what have I done? And you feel guilty. You feel maybe, maybe I'll just take them for ice cream. Or whatever. Like you just go... And kids, just so you know, it does not feel good. It's hard parenting. And here Paul's saying the same thing. Ah, at first I felt sorry because I know it was painful for you, for the church. Now in verse 9, I am glad I sent it. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So, you were not harmed by us in any way. So the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, it's just like, yeah, sorry. That just results in spiritual death. So it seems here throughout that passage and throughout many that we haven't even looked at today, and Proverbs it's pointing toward that part of our job is not only to set up guardrails, but to help our kids with discipline. Another one in Proverbs 19 verse 18 says, discipline your son while there is still hope, but don't set your heart on his destruction. So discipline your kiddos when there's still hope. So we're supposed to do it, but as you know, there's probably a balance there. If you don't do it at all, your kid will lose hope because it feels like you don't love him. If you way overreact, a kid does, let's say, if there's a scale of 1 to 10, 1, uh, and 10 is, what were you thinking? If a kid pulls off a 2, and you come in there with an 8 of a consequence, well, that's ridiculous. you got to try and match the consequence with the offense. I think that just makes sense. Discipline your, your son while there's still hope, but don't set your heart on his destruction. So don't overdo it, but also do something. Train a child in the way that is appropriate for him. Somebody said this, a person is only a child once in his or her lifetime. Once that time period is gone, then it will be gone forever. A child is like a quick drying cement. 
you only have a little while while it's still moldable when it's wet. The longer you wait, the harder it gets. The formative years of a child are really crucial. Thus, it is only wise to discipline a child while his or her mind is still receptive. Another thing that's kind of interesting to me is one of the reasons that I know that God loves me is because he disciplines me. He doesn't let me get away with stuff. For the Lord disciplines Steve because he loves him. And he punishes Steve because he accepts him as his son. Now, I'll go past the Dirksen version and read the NLT. It says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So sometimes when bad things happen to us, we go, Oh God, don't you love me? Don't you notice me? Well, yeah. Because some, some of the things, don't, don't get carried away here, but some of the things that happen are a discipline. And God loves you. Just think about it for a second. Do I love my kid if I don't discipline him? If I go, whatever, and I don't, I don't care if they're even home, I, don't, I just walk in after work and I go to bed or watch TV, I have no idea if they're home, don't know if they've been fed, I make sure I help them with their homework, anything like that. I just, what? Am I showing them that I love them? Well, no, they might like it for a while because I'd be the party house. But after a while, they would question if I cared and if I loved them. Again, kids look for guardrails. They actually want them. They want them. And again, discipline is not a one-time event. I wish it was. Discipline is not a one-time event, but rather a continuous and habitual process. I wish it was a one-time event. There's sometimes I go to Jody, to J- J- Jody and I just say, I've told that kid 10,000 times. And she reminds me, well, probably 10,000 more. Because I'm just like, ah! You know, you want to treat him like an employee. I told you not to do this, so stop doing that. We want our kids to sign contracts and punch in. That might be helpful. But, uh, you know, one time, um, Jody and I were having some of the hardest times of our marriage in regard to parenting. And uh, I was at, at work here trying to get from under this horrible cloud of storm. And I came across the story of Eli not doing anything. And I was like, whoa, I got to do something about my kid. You guys, I went home and I shared that with my wife. Guess what she had been reading for her personal devotions? The story of Eli. We had not compared notes to that point. We both knew in our hearts that we had to do something and we did. And we lived happily ever after. <laughs> I wish. I wish. Uh, no. It's still been years of tumultuous journey. But you know what? I thought it was kind of neat that the Lord loves us enough that he spoke to us and gave us even this word that, hey, Eli didn't do anything. And it cost him. Do something. And it motivated and inspired me and Jody to do something even though we, it was so hard for us. It was so hard for us. Discipline is not a one-time event, but rather a continuous and habitual process. Well, all that being said, I want to show you a chart that I came across. 
And uh, hopefully it will be a tool for your toolbox. It might be a reminder or it might be something that you're interested in. But it's kind of neat because it seems as though that we've got to strike some kind of balance when it comes to our parenting. And this could go across the line to even other relationships. But over here on your left, we see the flexibility part of the scale. And on the top, you see closeness. And what it does here is this Enrich Canada, and just so you know, Enrich Canada is something that I use uh, for premarital counseling, and they've done research. It's online testing, so the, the man and the woman would do them separately, the tests, and then I get the data, and then it shows the differences of what they think about everything from their roles in marriage to friendships to how to spend money and all that stuff, including parenting. So when it comes to this, it seems as though um, research is pointing toward the healthiest place to be on this graph is having a balanced style when it comes to parenting. So that would include what Proverbs has been saying, setting up our guardrail and training. But it's so hard if you ask me because the top one there you see is you have a closeness and here you have a flexibility. When I do the premarital counseling stuff, it's interesting because we'll do a test on how they feel, how close and flexible they were in their home life and now as a couple. And it's interesting sometimes how that crosses over as a couple. How flexible or inflexible or how close or not close and connected they feel. So here, this is what I want to show you here. Is that up in the the top left here, you'll see an uninvolved style and in a strict style. Up to the right, you'll see a permissive and an overbearing. And obviously in the middle, you have a balanced style. So what does all that mean is hopefully I'll put some meat to that stuff, is the balance style, first of all, in the middle, it tends to be the most healthy because there's a balance of age-appropriate child autonomy and parental control. So you got to pay attention to the age-appropriate child autonomy, so you let them exercise their muscle of decision-making to a point, and you have parental control. Independence is encouraged, and discipline is consistent and fair. Parenting is warm and nurturing without being overindulgent. You'll see what overindulgent means in just a second. Discipline tends to be consistent and fair. According to research, this parenting style is related to the best outcomes for kiddos and teens. Next, you have permissive style. Very connected and very flexible. So very, very on both. Really feeling tight with your kids and you let them get away with a ton of stuff. They make their own decision. Permissive. This parenting style allows the teen a lot of freedom and choice. Parents have a hard time saying no in this category. Uh, they have a hard time establishing and forcing rules and a hard time creating boundaries. Also called the intelligent parenting, this style is characterized by high responsiveness to a child's needs and high emotional connection. When extreme and sustained, a permissive parenting is related to difficulties for children and teens in taking personal responsibility. Just because you, you, you care so much about the relationship, you know, like, are we buddies, are we buddies, are we buddies? To the point where they think the whole world's there to serve them. And you're so flexible that it's just like... So that's permissive. Next is overbearing style, often referred to as the authoritarian. This style is typically demanding with high levels of control and high levels of responsiveness and closeness. An overbearing parent is highly connected to their child and teen and has also high expectations for them to conform and to comply with their rules and guidance and direction. When, it, when sustained, 
uh, extremely. The parenting style is related to anxiousness and lower self-esteem. Next, you have the strict style. The strict style. Uh, This parenting style is characterized by predictability and order and rules that allow little room for negotiation. Discipline tends to be firm, but unlike the overbearing style, however, emotional connection is very low with the strict style. So there's a lot of control and hardly any connection uh, in the relationship. When extreme and sustained, research suggests that this parenting style is related to teens feeling uncared for and higher risk of substance abuse. And then finally, you have the uninvolved style. This parenting style allows the teen or child a lot of freedom and choice and few or very poorly enforced rules and boundaries. But it also lacks the emotional responsiveness characterized by a permissive style. This style is characterized by low emotional connection with few demands placed on the child. When extreme and sustained ongoing, children parented in this style may feel isolated and yet are in increased risk for substance abuse and for performing poor in school. Interesting, huh? So, I don't know about you, but... Because I'm one of those guys I love to connect with my kids, but I also have to figure out at whatever age they are and what their personality is, how much decision-making I leave up to them, and when it's just a no is a no is a no. When I give all the boundaries and when it's time for them to start exercising, setting good boundaries and good guidelines. So we're going for that balance there. Hopefully that's a tool that you can look at for yourself and think about it uh, in your parenting style or in the way you hang out with kids. But at the beginning, I shared with you this story at B, being at a and b and the Lord spoke to this pastor, to this dad, who was heartbroken and his heart was ripped apart for his child left but did come back. But he cried out to God and God did show up and God did talk to him and God seemed to give him a word. And if you're like me, you're, say it already. What is it, right? Well, at the end of the day, he sensed that that God was not calling him to be perfect. The word was this. I have called you as a dad to be faithful. And at first I'm going, well, that's a nice church word. But think about that for a second. I'm calling you not to be perfect. So I don't want you to compare yourselves with that family that looks like they have everything together. I don't want you to go on Facebook and see all the highlights of all the families and think you're boring and you don't do much with your kids. Nuh-uh. No comparing. I want you to be faithful. For me and for that dad, all of a sudden you're going, if if you take that honestly that you are responding to God and you really have a heart for your kiddos, when he's calling you to be a faithful dad, you are trying to connect. And you are trying to train in a a flexible way that they grow their muscles of making good decisions so they can become mature in Christ and, and also give back to society. Does that make sense? Guys, contentment in mothering and fathering really is calling us to a life of faithfulness when it comes to our parenting. So if you have kids, you're in it for the long haul. In my case, really long haul. Five kiddos, but that's what I signed up for. And I still make mistakes. Sometimes I go to bed and I say, shoot, I raise my voice. 
And I, my heart hurts sometimes if I've raised my voice or I might have overreacted or I didn't really listen to her fully. And now I feel like, shoot, I disrespected her, even though she's four and she needs to listen to big old dad. But you know what? I go back, try again tomorrow to be a faithful dad, to be a faithful mom. Just like God is faithful to us. Speaking of faithfulness, we're going to be taking communion which hopefully really emphasizes to us once again how faithful Jesus Christ has been in this whole process. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. And I am also reminded uh, of in Luke when you said, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We're growing, and even as parents, we have to remember, we're also growing. Our kids are growing, but so are we. So give us what we need, Lord, to be balanced parents, connecting, uh, but also being guardrails, connecting and teaching having a friendship, but also realizing that we're parents first. And Lord, I do pray that our children respond. Just like we have to respond to the parenting of God, help our kids respond to our parenting. And may we be ever-growing, even as parents. We pray a blessing on our children, that they would, at the end of the day, be able to rise up and call mom and dad blessed, because we followed after Christ. May they follow us because we follow Christ. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Remember